1 John chapter 2, verse 27 says, As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. I want to read it again from uh, the Amplified Version, same verse. But as for you, the anointing, the sacred appointment, the unction which you receive from him abides sometimes, now, permanently in you. So then you have no need that anyone should instruct you, but just as his anointing teaches you concerning everything and is true, and there's no falsehood, so you must abide in, live in, never depart from him, being rooted in him, knit to him, just as his anointing has taught you to do. Amen. When you look at that word anointing in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, and it's also in verse 20, you only see it in the Greek two times and it's here. And that Greek word is charisma. And it sounds very similar to charisma, which is gifts. But this particular word, as you notice, is missing the A. Yes, charisma, which means is a specially prepared anointing oil to rub oil over anything smeared on a special endowment of the Holy Spirit for an office referring to the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, guiding the receptive believer into fullness of God's preferred will. And so as you see in those last two uh, points there, it's a special endowment of the Holy Spirit for an office or a purpose. So when we look at uh, historically in the Old Testament, the anointing oil was also, was many purposes of the, uh, of the oil, but one of the purposes of the oil was to anoint someone for a particular purpose or for an office. Yes, sir. I believe in 1 John chapter 2 what the Apostle John was trying to say, and this is my own personal belief, but I believe that the reason that we don't see it anymore in the New Testament is that I believe that uh, the Apostle John took that from uh, the, the phrase of the day because there were particular a group of people who had begun to use the anointing just to say that if you had this anointing, you were the only one that had this special knowledge. And so I believe that what the Apostle John did, because he, was, he hung out with the teacher, uh, is that he took that word and flipped it and said, yes, you also have an anointing, but it's from the Holy One. Hallelujah. And so John was, folk, was, was uh, using this word, chrisma. I want to add this particular verse here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And it says, but you are a chosen race or a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has called us into his marvelous light. Now, I said before, when we look at the scriptures and the historical application of the anointing, 
Please remember that the anointing oil was used for many different purposes. So from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you have to be able to see as you read the scriptures that the anointing oil was used for many different purposes. The purpose and the intent of this message, which has been from the beginning, in that what Pastor Rand started off teaching with us is that we are a spirit-filled treasure chest. We are earthen vessels. We are spirit-filled. I want to add, we have received the anointing from the Holy One. But all of that is given to us that we may go out and be witnesses to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. So all these accolades, all these descriptions of who we are in Christ, please remember that it is for the sole purpose that we may know who we are so that we may go out and be a witness unto the Lord. Don't get it twisted. Yes, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession, according to what the apostle Peter just said. But it's all for the glory of God to do his work. To live out our lives before people and that it is our divine, sacred, given appointment to us by Jesus Christ. So are we going to show up to our sacred appointment? I had to, in my studies, I had to go back and bring forth a witness to be able to expound. What am I, what am I trying to say? What is God trying to say to us? Uh, in this time, in this moment, in this season of our lives about the importance of the anointing. I remember hearing this script, this, 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 it described in this way, and especially as we began to learn about being filled with the Holy Spirit, is that being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we know that there's evidence of speaking in tongues when it comes to um, the, being filled with the Spirit. But we also need to picture and, you know, I'm really bad at this, but I want you to think about uh, what God has equipped us with, with how we use a vacuum cleaner. Okay. Amen. So with a vacuum cleaner, we have steps in our house. And so, you know, for the main area of the, of the floor of the carpet, we got to use a clean swipe and you got the wide base of the vacuum cleaner. Right. And so you have to take that that vacuum cleaner and, and go over the carpet in your, your house. Right. But please remember and know that there are only certain places that you can get with the vacuum cleaner. And so most vacuum cleaners, they have attachments on it, right? And so there are some corners that you can't get to with just the base of the vacuum cleaner. So you need some extra attachments to be able to get up on the steps, to be able to get over in the corner. And so what I want to remind you is that just like the vacuum cleaner, we need more than just the evidence of speaking in tongues, but we also need the spirit of teaching. The spirit of prayer. We need the prayer, the spirit of land on of hands. We need the spirit and power of confidence to walk in the spirit that God has given us. We just can't take one thing and and believe that it's going to apply and work for everything in every situation. God has given us and equipped us with everything that we have need of to live a godly life. But he just needs for us to show up to the appointment. So I had to bring this unusual witness to help me be able to explain a little bit more that God desires that we show up 
no more no-shows, but that we show up. No-shows meaning taking up place. You reserved a place or a space, and there was a failure to show up. So I want to give you some tips, some suggestions of things that I believe that you need to know, and we can find it in this particular text. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 12. And I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. And I kind of went back and forth between two different um, translations just because uh, you know how you, you're studying out the word, you, you like the, the way it said maybe in the first three or four verses and then it dropped down and then you compare and you're like, oh man, if, you know, if, man, if we put this together, but you know, I don't want to like break any like scripture rules or anything, but so I want to just stick to this one, one translation of John 9, 1 through 12. So it reads, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus goes on to say, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Here's one of those verses where I wanted to pause and add another translation. If you look at some of the other translations, I believe New Living Translations, it says in verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. We. So Jesus is saying to the disciples, not only he must do the work, but he said in this phrase in the New Living Translation that we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Verse five, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went and washed and came back sin. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Yes, sir. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes open? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Who, where is he? He said, I do not know. Yes, sir. Amen. When you look back at verse, verse 1, one of the things that stuck out to me was that in verse 1 it says that now as Jesus passed by, and I love every time that I see in the scriptures this phrase of Jesus passing by. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And this was very encouraging to me because if anybody, if anybody in the scriptures so or anybody who walked this earth should have a busy life, it's Jesus, right? 
And with Jesus and his busy schedule and all the things that he had to do throughout this week, because the Bible says that his face was set like flint toward the cross. And so Jesus had a place. He had things that he had to do. He had people that he had to save. He had messages that he had to preach. He had people he had to raise from the dead. He had sickness he had to heal. But the Bible says that as he was passing by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. I just wanted to take a little time before I go through the rest of these verses and thank Jesus Christ that in his busy schedule that he saw a blind man. The challenge for us in this day and age, and I'll go ahead and say it, is that we are called to be like Christ. And I just said that Jesus has an ultimate busy schedule. And if anybody has time, Jesus had time. And if Jesus had time, we should have time. Jesus, in his busy schedule, looked and he saw a blind man. Now, the problem that I have with this, this, this text is that when you compare what Jesus did and you turn to the disciples, those who were learning about Christ, the learners of the Lord, this is what they begin to do about what they saw. So they begin to go into some type of um, uh, debate. Or, or Bible study about the blind man. Yes, sir. And the sites begin to ask Jesus, said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. This is the first point that I want to point out to you, that what you would get from showing up to the appointment in order to be able to get the sacred appointment, the anointing, and to be able to be able to understand what God is calling us to do is the first thing that we have to know is that the power, we have to know that the power of God, we have to know that the power of God works in us. Yes, Notice in verse three, it says, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. This man was born blind. When you look at it, when you study this out, no other place that you see a miracle performed like this because this is the first time and only time in the text that there is a man who was born in a condition. When you look in Acts, there was somebody who was, who was uh, blind, I mean lame. There was someone who, they had other issues, but it was never blind from birth. So what this tells me is that Jesus has the, Jesus has the power to go beyond our own limitations. And so when I look at this blind man, what he tells me is that I can be without excuse. I am without excuse of any disabilities or incapabilities that I may have because Jesus looks at our lack and our disabilities and our incapabilities and say, hey, it's okay because I can use my power in that. 
I want to be I want to tell you today that regardless of your situations, regardless of your circumstances, I know you may have been born in it. I know you may believe that it's no way out. I know you may believe that it's no way I can get myself out of this situation. But I want you to know that Jesus told this blind man born in this situation that this happened. So the power of God could be seen in him. The man was born blind. I so admire the blind man because he started out from a tough situation. He had never seen the sunset, had never seen the stars across the night skies, had never seen the splashes of waterfall or the waves of the ocean, had never seen the beauty of the morning sunrise and had never seen his parents' face. He had never seen what, what it was like to look at some, something beautiful, to be able to, as a matter of fact, he had never seen, even though Jesus was there in the midst and Jesus saw him, he never saw the face of Jesus, not at this point. This man was born blind. So as you go down in the verses, you see that Jesus stepped in. And in verse, in verse four, he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things in verse five, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. Somebody say, ooh. <laughs> and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, this particular term, the anointed here in this particular verse, is basically just to smear on, to put on something, to smear or to rub across. So basically, Jesus took clay from the ground, and he took it up, and he spit on it. And he rubbed it. <laughs> yeah, it's nasty, isn't it? He rubbed it in the mud and the clay, and he placed it upon the blind man's eyes. Now, I know that may sound nasty, but when you look at the fact that everything that we preach about Christ is that, you know, just the power of the blood, just plead the blood over something, just put the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. When we talk about the blood, and we know that there's power in, in his blood, then imagine how much power is in something that comes out of his body, just a little spittle. So he reaches down. Now we know that we learned that we are earthen vessels. We know that in Genesis at the beginning that God reached down and he reached down into the dust and he moved it around a little bit and he began to form man in his image. And the Bible says that as he formed us from the dust, he's breathed in us the breath of life and we became man living, a living being. So it's, it fascinates me that here again we see the beginning where God goes back to the clay, back to the ground again, and begin the process of doing something miraculous. It had never been said before. And you will see it if you studied out John chapter 9, you'll hear the testimony that it had never been done before that a man born blind was healed. 
Jesus was willing. He's willing to go back and go all the way back to the beginning and start you all over again to add something to you just so you can perform and do the things that he called you to do. That's the type of God. That's the type of Christ that we serve. The Bible says that and he said to him, he said to the blind man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So the blind man went and washed and came back seeing. Now I said to you that the first thing we need to know, we need to know the power of God that works in us. The second thing that we need to know in order to be able to live and move in the appointment and the anointing of God is that we need to know the power of obedience. Jesus told the man, go. Washing the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So guess what he did? He went and washed. No questions, no debate. And what tripped me out about the text is that I don't even know if the blind man had ever seen the pool of Siloam. I don't even know if he even knew where the pool of Siloam was located. But he went had never seen it before. And what that tells me is that this man walking around still with clay because the scripture says that he went and he came back seeing. It never said that he went seeing. The Bible reminds us, and we quoted and said all the time, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And here we have a perfect example of what it means to walk and believe what God tells us to do, what he said we will do. And he went and he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Why do we struggle with obedience? Samuel said, the prophet Samuel said to King Saul that obedience is better than sacrifice. Why would you continue to do something over and over and over again and never apply it? Never apply it. Never apply it. That's a sacrifice. When you do something over and over again and it's dredge and grudgery and you go, I'm going to church again. I guess I'll go to church again. They want me to serve again. He wants me to pray again. Sacrifices over and over and over again. But it's not obedience. The example that we can just just bring just quickly into this text is Naaman. Naaman was a, a Naaman was like a ruler of his time, but he had leprosy, and he called upon the prophet Elijah. He had a had a servant girl there and said, "Hey, I know a prophet of Israel that can come and heal you." And so Naaman got all excited and he wanted some big show. And he went and talked to Naaman and asked Naaman to heal him. I mean, he went and asked uh, Elijah to heal him. And Elijah didn't put on a show for him. Elijah just told him to go to this pool and dip seven times and you will be healed. And Naaman got upset and said, well, huh. I thought he was going to put on some type of, of show like Benny Hinn and stuff, you know, call me up and have the people around me and stuff like that. And like call down like healing anointing upon me and then therefore I would be healed from my leprosy and, and the little servant girl told him that hey now if he would have told you to do some miraculous thing uh, you would have did it and so 
Naaman went down and dipped seven, time, dipped seven times into the pool, and guess what? The Bible said his flesh was like a brand new baby, but he had to obey. We must know the power of obedience. The last thing the text shows us in John chapter 9, verse 8. So when he came back seeing, therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Then they questioned him again. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. The third thing that we need to know is that we need to know the power of I don't know. The power of I don't know. And it's funny because we live in a world now where to say you don't know something is kind of like frowned upon. You know, we're, we're perceived as being dumb or, 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 or stupid or unintelligent if you meant that you don't know something. But this man who used to be blind understood already what it felt like for people to have low expectations of him. And so he didn't even back up. His, he didn't even consider it. <laughs> I don't know. I told you what I did know. But where he is, I don't know. This man was born blind, could not see, but that didn't keep him from knowing some things. He was born blind. He was left alone to beg. Maybe he was accustomed to people asking, what color is the sky? <laughs> I don't know. What does, the, what does the sunset look like? Or who was that just passed by? You know how cool people can be sometimes. But when it came to answering the question, where is Jesus? His response was, I don't know. See, I want to go back and encourage you again with the same words that the Apostle John said to his church, his churches, is that you have received the anointing and it's from the Holy One. And in order to walk in those things, you must know that the power of God works in you. It's not you, but it's the power of God working in you. It's the power of God that works in you. And the reason that John, again, I believe that the reason that he, because John is the same author of the Gospels, according to his account about the blind man, I believe that he was kind of backtracking and connecting some things that he had taught the people before about this blind man. Just my, just my interpretation. But yes, you have the anointing. Yes, you're a spirit-filled uh, treasure chest. Yes, you're a spirit with the, filled with the spirit. Yes, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's own special people. But you have to know the power of being obedient. If God tells you to do something, you do it. 
Because only in the obedience you will see the power of God working in you. And I believe the only reason that he's told him that you have no need of someone to teach you is because the spirit of God will teach you. But not only that, we see from the blind man that, first of all, in order to be taught by the spirit of God, you got to be taught by the word of God, Jesus in the flesh. So we have this blind man who said, I don't know. I don't know. The power of I don't know is the fact that when you're able to confess you don't know something, God is able to give you something to confess. When you empty yourself of all your intellect, of all your very own experiences and how you were raised, and you empty yourself fully of God and say, I don't know. I don't know what time he's coming back. I don't know that. I don't know if he was black or white or brown. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. One thing I do know is that he took something because I heard him like digging the dirt a little bit and I heard this and that's all I heard and then this wet stuff was on my eyes. He told me to go to the pool of Siloam and I went and I watched and did everything he told me to do and I came back seeing. But where he is, I don't know. I just want to free you. You don't have to know the Greek and the Hebrew. You don't have to know all the historical aspects of what, where Judah was located and where Colossae was located and where Philippi. I don't know. I get it mixed up, too. Philippians, I don't know. Where did, he, where did Paul write it from? Ephesians, I don't know. But one thing I know that Jesus is alive and he saved me and I believed him and I received him and now I'm a changed man. Amen. The only thing that he was able to share was his experiences about what Jesus had done for him. King David said the same thing. One thing I desire, and I love the fact of all the things that King David knew, he broke it down like this. He said, one thing I desire of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple, in his temple. The apostle Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, which I love, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I consider myself stupid a fool for Christ that I may know him and the power that works in me he goes on to say when I was among you I didn't speak like uh, I knew it all I had to depend on the power of God that was his whole message in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 He said, that's what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. And that's what the man who was born blind, who used to be blind, said and realized. Every time I used to read, I, you know, this is one of my favorite um, texts in John 9. And it was actually the first, you know, how you have to do like a, a trial sermon or whatever. And uh, this was the text that the Lord put on my heart. Because I love the fact when you look through this text, 
the, the, in certain translation, you know, I, I would read it and it was said that the man who was formerly blind, I used to think about how Prince changed his name, that Prince only had a symbol. And so this blind man, here we go, became a symbol for how the power of God works in him, that he was not of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but here he is trying to teach those who were the teachers. And then when you look in the text, is that he came to a point that they kept putting him on trial and kept asking him questions. Yes, why are you different? Right. Why are you healed? And they went and asked his parents, why, why has he changed? Yes, what sir. happened? Do you know? They said they didn't know. Yes, <laughs> Ask sir. him. And they went back and asked him. He said he didn't know. But he began to continue to question him. They questioned him and questioned him, and then he paused and said, now, wait a minute. Do you want to know him? And they responded in their pride because Jesus went off on them about being blind. But they responded, wait a minute, are you trying to teach us? Yes, sir. And so here we have the contrast between two things. One, we have a blind man who had experienced God, he may not have been to all of the different schools to be able to learn the Hebrew right. and to be able to be right. of other religious establishments and know the rules of the synagogues and all the laws. But one thing he knew, he had his testimony, but they had all of the, all of the background and all of the knowledge and all of the religious uh, background and everything that could apply and allow them to live in that time. But they did not know who Jesus was. And yes, this man having the anointing upon his eyes, knew his story. Thank you, Lord. One of the things I love is that when people don't want to deal with us, when we finally decide to live for Christ, regardless of our lack, when we, when, we, when we decide in our, in our hearts that, all oh, well, all I know is John 3.16, and I know that he saved me, and I used, to, I used to smoke, and I used to do this, and I used to do that, but I know that since Christ came into my life, I'm a changed man. When you begin to believe that, and you begin to go out, yes, you're going to have people that's going to come up and critique you. You're going to have people to say, man, you don't even know how to pronounce uh, John 3.16, let alone quote it. But that's okay. I want to encourage you to trust in the Lord because when that happens, again, what happened to this man is that when he confronted them, when he gave his testimony, this man was put out of the synagogue. Yes, sir. They put him out of the synagogue. But I want you to know is that when you decide to be obedient to Christ, when you decide to walk in his anointing and do the things that he's asked you to do, when you decide to know the power of God working in you, when you decide to, to empty yourself of everything that you know and receive him fully, yes, Christ will show up. Look at the last verse here. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord? Remember, they've been asking him these questions throughout every, I mean, this is a, a major event, a whole change in his life. And here he has, had never seen Jesus before. And here in the verse, first time seeing Jesus face to face, and Jesus said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord? 
that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. See, when 1 John, when the apostle said in 1 John, you have the anointing, and it's from the Holy One. And you need not anyone to teach you. It wasn't a prideful thing. It wasn't that we don't need the preachers. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we don't need to sit upon our elders and sit under them and hear their teachings about the things of Christ. But what it does mean is that even if you can't reach the elders, even if you call and they, can't, they won't answer their phones, even if they, they don't have enough time to come over, and I'm not saying it's not that they don't have a life, but what I, want, what I want to tell you is that you have the tools to reach down, to reach up into Christ and be able to receive the anointing, to be able to receive the Holy Spirit, to be able to tap into things that he's already given you and apply that and live your life out in Christ. You have an anointing, and it's from the Holy One. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I believe that there is power in your word. I believe, Lord God, that there is wonder working power in your word. I thank you, Lord God, that you loved us so much, Lord. That as John said in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I thank you, Lord God, that you not only shared the message of your love, but you lived the message of your love before us. And Lord, I want to just use this time, Lord God, to pray over your people, Lord. To encourage them in you, Lord God. Lord God, that you see us, Lord God, as an extension of everything you were here on earth. Lord God, I speak into your people, Lord God, confidence and boldness, power to do the work, Lord God, of the evangelist, to walk in the gifts and callings, Lord God, that you've placed upon them, Lord God, to be of good courage, Lord God, to walk by faith and not by sight, to be witnesses to you, Lord God, in this world, Lord God, to be light in the world, Lord God, before, before you said, Lord God, that you are the light of the world. 
But you also said, Lord God, that we are the light of the world. You said that we are a city that's set up on a hill that should not be hidden, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you remove anything, Lord God, that will dull out and dim, Lord God, and cover the light that you've placed on the inside of us, Lord God. Lord God, I come against the spirit of, of, of low self-esteem, Lord God, and a lack of confidence, Lord. And Lord, I speak into your people, Lord God. I speak into us, Lord God, your esteem, Lord God, your confidence, your boldness, Lord God. Lord God, give us our eyesight, Lord God. Give us vision, Lord God, that we may see those in need, Lord God. And that we may stop, Lord God, 